We are at the end. We're at the end of a three-week series, a short series on church membership. We've been talking about what church membership looks like here at Bethany. We started all the way back three weeks ago talking about why join a church. And we talked about how church is something that God created. Actually, he created with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he did that so that his manifold wisdom might be made known, right? Ephesians 3.10 told us that. The church exists for his glory. What an awesome thing. As he unites individuals together through that common bond of Jesus' life in them, they bring glory to God. As they're devoting themselves to loving each other and encouraging one another and guarding one another in the context of local churches. Last week, we began to talk about the contrast that church members are supposed to display as they shine like stars against the backdrop of a crooked and and twisted generation, Philippians 2.15. And they do that, one of the ways they do do that is they commit to each other. They, as we're saying here at Bethany, they covenant together so that they might stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's Philippians 1.27. We began to look at that membership covenant here at Bethany. And in essence, we said it's a summary statement. A summary statement by which we commit to living out the one another's with each other. Christ's commands to each other. We talked about our submission to the Bible. We talked about our pursuit of Christ through regular Bible reading, through prayer, through meeting together in fellowship, and through practicing spiritual disciplines. And we talked about our submission to the ordinances, those important ordinances that Christ gave us, baptism and communion. We persist in those things. We talked about our commitment to regularly being present with that local representation of God's people, meaning this body, the church. And we also talked about our pledge to steward the resources that God has given us, which include our time, our talents, our spiritual gifts, and yes, even our finances. And we noted that when we do that, there are going to be inevitable questions that people on the outside have, like, why are these people doing this? And they're... They're volunteering to do this? What? Why are they willingly subjecting themselves? And why, why are they surrendering their rights and their comforts and their weekends and their money and their independence? And we said the answer to all of those questions and so many, so many more is because of Jesus That's God getting glory because he's the one responsible for this strange thing that is happening in this unique community that he has built and it takes place. All of this is lived out in local 
churches. Together, we shine bright the light of Christ. Together, we, we uh, run steadily toward the finish line. Together, we testify of the unending excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Our passage last week said, do all things without grumbling and disputing things that tear communities apart. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish. Now, we, now we've talked about thus far in our covenant the importance of community together. We're here for each other just as Christ was here for us. But the remainder of our covenant here at Bethany, it turns our attention from the unifying work of Christ to the transformational work that must continue to take place in each and every one of our lives. You see, it's, it's not enough for us to just be gathered together as a people to love each other and encourage one another. No, 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 no. We as a church are to be distinctly different, distinctly pure. We're, we're to, to live together no longer in, in the filthy ways of our old lives. No, Christ has washed us clean, amen? He's removed the stain of our sin. He's washed us white as snow, as Isaiah talks about. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. A transition has been made. As God's Spirit makes our hearts His home, He brings us from death to life. He forgives us. He clears that old record. And not only that, but we're now clothed in Christ's righteousness. And we're also called to live that righteousness out in whatever practical ways we possibly can. To live out a life that is pure and right and true and good and that is in line with the way God created us to live and the way he desires us to live. It, it's the best way, quite frankly. It's, it's the right way. And it's the only way to experience maximum joy and satisfaction in this life and certainly in the next. Paul wrote in Romans 13, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's important. 
that's the new way. It's, it's drastically different from the old way. It's dramatically different from the way that everyone else is living out there. And if that's you, then you are the odd man or the odd woman out now. <laughs> you are the variant. You are the strange exception that leaves everyone with this big question mark looming over their heads. And what's more, it means you're going against the tide. Tremendous pressures are going to be working against you. Unbelievably strong voices are going to be calling you, beckoning you, begging you, reasoning with you, trying to sell you on giving in and going with the flow. Being God's person in this world, running the race with perseverance, keeping yourself pure, resisting temptation, fearlessly and faithfully living all out for God's glory. That's difficult. And it's next to impossible to do on your own. Thank God for the church. We're here for each other. We show up every Sunday and connect with each other throughout the week because we know that this race is not easily run, is it? Each of us are needed to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to keep going, to keep persevering to the end. And so the rest of our covenant that we make together as members of Bethany Bible Fellowship, they're related to persevering, to living lives that are holy. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Covenant number six, picking up where we left off. We covenant by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in holiness in all areas of life as an act of worship to Jesus Christ. Worship is so much more than just gathering together in this room and singing together songs to God, right? No, worship is presenting our entire lives to God, submitting ourselves to his rule and his reign. It's the acknowledgement that, that seeking first the kingdom of God, it begins first right here, right in our hearts. I want the kingdom of God to rule this thing because this thing is next to untamable. I need his rule in my heart. And so we submit our desires and our wills and our thoughts and our words and our actions to him. Worship, it takes place when we ask ourselves whether or not those desires are, are thinking or what we're saying or what we're doing is honoring and acceptable to our God. J.C. Ryle, he put it this way. We ask the question, what would Christ have said and done if he were in my place. And that's probably the origin of the whole WWJD thing that was so big back in the day. What would he do? Paul said that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is, this is how you do it. Do not be conformed to this world. 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Peter pleads practically the same thing. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He says, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What do they want to do? Live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. The time for living the way the world on the outside lives, and even vicariously through the entertainment we take in, it's over. Now that we've tasted and seen how good it is to be in the light of Christ, to be freed from that old life of slavery, we've got to move on together and never go back. You know, in the church, it could be so easy to justify ourselves. You're here in this community, and you're, you're getting to know each other, and you're seeing how each other lives each other's lives, and, and it's so easy for us to start feeling justified in ourselves and get comfortable with the progress that we've made, right? And the satisfaction that our degree of righteousness at least is higher than their degree of righteousness over there. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not the best, but, but okay. I mean, probably good enough. I mean, if they're getting in, they're crossing the finish line, then I'm probably going to cross as, as well. At least I, 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 I hope so. <laughs> but the reality is, that until we're on the other side of that finish line, we're going to have this stuff present in our lives and this battle ongoing in our lives. And we are called to put it to death. The Spirit has more house cleaning that he needs to do inside of us, right? (laughs) The Spirit has more house cleaning. We cannot allow ourselves to tolerate any degree of evil in our lives. And someone says, well... Come on, nobody's perfect. Actually, that's not true. Because God is perfect. And he calls you and me toward that perfection as well. We just read it. You should be holy, for I am holy. You know, J.C. Ryle also wrote, he said, I cannot see how any man deserves to be called holy, who willfully allows himself in sins and is not humbled and ashamed because of them. He says, I I dare not call anyone holy who makes a, a habit of willfully neglecting known duties and willfully doing what he knows God has commanded him not to do. He says, well says Owen, meaning John Owen, the great Puritan preacher. I do not understand how a man can be a true believer unto whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. The pursuit 
of holiness, of striving to be all that God desires, and, and, and the, the fight to put to death anything that is not of God. That is not some nice thing that Christians may opt to do or not to do. No, this is, this is fundamental. Once again, we're called to this. It's not easy. It's a battle. It's a fight to the death. But that's one of the reasons God gave us each other. Uh, so many people that I've talked to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm through with the church. I don't need the church. I'm going to do this on my own. And I go, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I can tell you right now where you will be in five years' time. We're here to partner with other believers, our local church, that we might strengthen each other, that we might uphold one another, that we might grab each other by the back of the belt and push each other forward in forgiveness and in the newness of the gospel. Because sometimes we need that, don't we? When we get to that point, we realize what we have done, and we feel down in the depths like failures that could never be forgiven. You need that pull back to remember what Christ has done for you. We here at Bethany, we join the church saying, we're in this fight together. We're in this fight, right? I am not Rocky Balboa. But man, that's the, the essence we gotta take on. We're here to walk in holiness because that's worship. And that leads us to also covenant together to refrain from such activities that scripture the scriptures deem as foolish. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We, the church, are representing Christ on this earth. He made us together, a new creation, restored us to right relationship with God and right relationship with each other, welded us together as the church. And we are called to be a part of that same reconciling work. We're called to bring others to be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. So we got to make sure that we're representing him well, don't we? And that leaves no room for foolish living. Ambassadors of the, of the high king cannot misrepresent their master. And so we covenant together to put that stuff in the past. What is that stuff? What does that look like? What is that foolishness that Scripture teaches, uh, speaks of? Well, it looks like disregarding Christ's commands. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. It also looks like living like Jesus is never coming back. Boy, that's easy to do. Jesus told the story in Matthew 25 about the 10 young girls who were waiting the bridegroom. He was going to come. They had these oil lamps, right? Some of them, five of them, brought extra oil just in case it may take this bridegroom extra amount of time to get here. Five others, they didn't prepare. And so they ran out of oil, and guess what? They were not prepared, and they, had to, they were in the dark, missed out. Friends, we need to be prepared for Christ's return. That means he could come back at any moment. That means he could come back right now, or right now, or right now. 
It means that we're making sure that we're ready for him to show up. Anything else is foolish because we know. We're in the know. Don't act foolish. Foolishness looks like falling into the trap of thinking you've got to do something to earn or keep your salvation. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, are you so foolish Having been begun by the Spirit, and we know this, the Spirit that begun this great work in you, that transformed you, made you right with God, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Spirit started this work? You think that God just checked out now and you've got to complete this thing? No, 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 no. This is all the grace of God. It's all done in reliance upon him. Don't be foolish. Foolishness, it includes the way that we talk, doesn't it? Ephesians 5, 4 says, Let there be no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Boy, that's something I've had to work on over the years. Foolishness includes confusing things that really matter with things that really don't. Titus 3.9 says, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. That so easily creeps into churches. Finally, foolishness is failing to search out and know what God wants. This has been a key verse for our men's ministry, Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many people are out there that are strutting around, they're so confident, thinking that they and God are a-okay, <laughs> when they don't have a clue as to what God wants. And they don't have but the faintest understanding of what is even in his word. We can't be those people. We can't be those kind of people. We will not be representing Christ well if we're ignorant of what he has commanded. So we covenant together to say, no, no to foolishness. We're not doing that. I'll just mention the last few covenants briefly here. Number eight, we, we covenant to take seriously the responsibility of Christian freedom, especially actions or situations that could present a stumbling block to one another. We're, we're here to help each other grow in our faith, right? Build each other up, make disciples. And since we're here to do that, we commit to keeping others in mind when we're making decisions about what we do and what we say. And so if something is perfectly okay for me to do, maybe at this stage and age in, in, in my life, but may not be okay for someone else to do, well, then I'm going to hold off on doing that for the sake of that brother or that sister, at least right in front of them. I don't want them to stumble. I want to encourage them on in Christ. Or maybe that means I'm going I'm to refrain from speaking about a, a certain thing in their presence because I, I don't want to tempt them. I don't want to trip them up in that way. We're committing to gladly put aside our freedoms rather than, than hoist them up and say, I'm going to do this no matter what you say or what you do, and I don't, you know, it's about me. No, 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 that's not Christ. Covenant number nine. We covenant to submit to the discipline of God through his Holy Spirit by two things. One, following biblical procedures for church discipline where sin is evident in another, the hope of such discipline being repentance and restoration, and two, receiving righteous and loving discipline when approached biblically by fellow believers. 
Now, when we talk about church discipline, we're talking about something that may feel a little strange and a little awkward because it's not talked about very much in churches at all. In fact, many, many churches have all but abandoned this idea completely because it is so not conducive, they think, to bringing seekers into the church and thus growing this church. But church discipline is so vitally important for one very simple reason, because the Bible commands us to do it. It's not optional. Church discipline, it's, it's simply this. It's the removal of an individual from our membership here at Bethany because of unrepentant sin in their lives. And so they, they profess faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm one of you. Maybe they were even baptized. They're a member. But their lives give evidence to the contrary, that they're not in Christ at all. And that's where God's word calls us for their sake and the reputation of Jesus to make it clear to them, to the rest of the church, even the world outside, that the way that they're living is not representative of a Christian and is not honoring to Christ. And some people will say, this is, this is so harsh. How could you even think about doing this? But the reality is, is this the most loving thing a church can do? In fact, the most hateful and unkind and unfeeling thing you could ever do for me is to see me heading straight for a cliff and then cheer me on saying, you're doing great, keep on going. That's not loving, that's insanity. That's lying to my face. It's, it's pushing me straight toward my doom. Now, the loving thing to do would be to, to start yelling at me, start kicking me, start slapping me, throw me to the ground, do whatever it takes to get my attention to help me realize that I am heading to my death. This is not okay. You know, we should actually want that. You know, so, uh, so encouraged by a staff member who's recently been talking that way, uh, just about the way that we're doing things. Uh, certain things or processes are being done here, you know, that, that needs some critique. And he's like, tell me, tell me, tell me how everything is wrong. Tell me how we're doing everything wrong. Because we should want that, shouldn't we? We should welcome that. If we're veering off course and we're headed in a bad direction, we don't want to fall into a death trap. We want a, a good smack upside the head, figuratively speaking. <laughs> Psalm 141, have you read this? 141.5, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let, let my head not refuse it. Now, that doesn't mean that the church turns into some type of minority report watchdog hovering over, evaluating every detail of every member's life, hoping to sniff out the faintest scent of something sinful. No, 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 no. Church discipline is what we're required to do in cases of, of blatant, outward, serious, and unrepentant sin. And so if one of our members is continually living in a way that is unchristlike. Maybe they're cheating on their taxes. Maybe they're refusing to gather regularly with the rest of the church. Maybe they're cheating on their spouse, or maybe they're continuing on in a relationship that is of a sexual nature to, with someone that they are not married to. They haven't entered into that covenant of marriage yet, and that's, that's a sinful thing. 
we as a church would do all that we could to lead them to repent. But if after a period of time they refuse, then, then we here, the membership of Bethany Bible Fellowship, would remove them from our membership as an act of discipline. Essentially, we're just saying, brother, sister, we, have, we don't have confidence anymore that your, your faith that you, you testify to is actually real because Christ and this way that you're living cannot coexist. They don't coexist. And we do that because we love them. What we all must do when we find ourselves confronted of sin, realize that we are in sin, is number 10. To do the following, to confess our sin to God and to fellow believers. To repent, turn around, and seek help in putting our sin to death. What a beautiful verse 1 John 1, 9 is. Boy, it feels like so many Sunday school years ago for me. So basic, and yet is the precious the precious verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hold on to that one. James 5.16 tells us, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The keeping sin hidden, living in secret, that's the fast track to falling away and allowing it to completely destroy you. So we don't hide it. We confess it to God and to other believers. That doesn't mean the whole church. That means a few close confidants. We invite those confidants into our lives that they might know our struggles. They might be praying for us. They might be helping us work to overcome them. Like we said already, this is a battle. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's the list again. Sexual immorality. I think there's a reason that one keeps coming up first. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We need those close allies to help us move on towards victory, don't we? So we covenant together to strive against sin, to unapologetically, ferociously inflict mortal wounds upon the sin that remains in our lives. Death to sin. (laughs) Number 11. We covenant to submit to the elders and the other appointed leaders of the church and diligently strive for unity and peace within the church. So there's not any confusion here. If you find yourself in a church, even this church, where the leadership is not teaching God's word or living it out, or in some way abusing their authority and bringing harm to other members while propping themselves up, get out of that church as fast as you can. I've been in situations like that. And I've had people tell me, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. I don't think they were right. We need to do this for our own discipleship. We need to guard and protect our families. We need to do it as an example to everyone else who chooses to keep going to that church. Because that's not good for them. 
And we need to also do it so that we don't lead anyone who's outside the church to think that this is a church that is honoring to the Lord. Don't be a part of that. On the other hand, if you're in a church where imperfect leaders are humbly and faithfully striving to represent Christ well, to love his people, do, do what you can to support them, to respect them, to follow their lead, to resist the temptation to consistently second-guess, look at them with suspicion, contempt, be critical of them. As Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That's a heavy task, an important one. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We here at Bethany covenant together to do that very thing. Finally, we covenant to do the following should we leave the church for righteous reasons. One, to notify the elders of Bethany. And two, to seek another church with which we can carry out our biblical responsibilities as believers. Knowing who is here and who is not is so important. If, if you're here, then you're here to, to love these people whom Christ so dearly loves. But if the Lord is calling you somewhere else, either because you're, you're leaving the area or because there's another local church where you can grow uh, better, please let your last act of love to this church be to let us know. Don't fade off into the sunset. Don't, don't gradually disappear. You're, just, you're tending here and there, here and there, here and there until it's just like, they're gone. Who is that person again? Don't disappear without your brothers and sisters knowing. Don't leave them hanging, wondering, what, is, what happened? What, what happened to them? And if there's a point in which you feel like you, just, you can't remain here anymore because Bethany is just going a direction that you think is unbiblical, that's possible. Don't leave without reaching out to those elders. Don't leave without coming to them and saying, Brothers, this is not good. If you truly love God's people, his bride, why would you not want to at least reach out to them and make them aware that they're veering off path? If you don't, what does that say about your, your love and concern for them? For the sake of God's people, we make sure that we communicate these very important things even if there ultimately is no other way but for us to part ways for now. This is our church covenant. Here it is. It's good. It is good. If you're not a member of Bethany yet and you, you are a believer, I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider this thing. Whether or not the Lord is calling you to, to, to join with this church. This, I have found this in the past almost five years to be a wonderful place. A wonderful, imperfect place. God's doing things here. I'd ask you to consider joining this church, but if not here, be praying about 
where God is calling you to joy because he is calling you to go be of one mind and one spirit with some local body of believers where you can live out those one and others. Find a place where you can give yourself fully. If this is the place, that application is in the back of that member handbook. Uh, fill it out, get it to the church office or to one of our elders, and then we'll, we'll schedule a time to sit down with you and talk about it. If you are a member of Bethany, and there are many who have been here a long time, so thankful for you. Oh, I'm thankful for you. Grab a copy of that one-page member covenant. That's front and back. And ask yourself, if the Lord is, is calling you to, to sign on to this covenant and, and reaffirm your commitment and say, yeah, this is, this is what I want. I, I am committed to be here and to be about all these things. Fill it out, hand it to an elder, and say, like we said earlier, I'm here. And I'm excited to see how God is going to use me to bless other people. This is good. Submitting to our, ourselves to God and to each other is good. We don't cover it together as members because we think it's cool, <laughs> it's trendy, everybody's doing it. No, we do it because we, we don't do it because uh, we think it's going to be fun. <laughs> even though it's going to bring great joy. No, we do it because this, is, this brings God glory. God's people coming together through Jesus Christ to love each other, stand by one another, build each other up in the faith, lock arms with one another that they might persevere to the end. This is Christ's church. May he bless it. May he unite it. May he strengthen it and equip it to burn bright his light until the day he calls us all home. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your church. What an awesome thing this is to see you working in the lives of so many different people, to hear the stories and the testimonies and to see how you did unbelievable things, to, to, to look at different people and say, there's no way you should be here. And then to realize, there's no way I should be here. But thanks be to God. Lord, may you continue to receive great glory, honor, and praise because of what you are doing here. A people fused together in unity by your Holy Spirit. Brought together, being built up by your word. Transformed and set free to go out and declare your excellencies. We praise you, we thank you, we love you, and look to you to enable us to persevere and continue until we see you face to face. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.